letter of Paul to the church in Rome, we must understand that the key verse of the entire book, or the key verses, is verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is written, the just shall live by faith. And then Paul goes on to explain why he's not ashamed of the gospel. As we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul was a man named Saul of Tarsus, and he was a, a, a religious man. And he began to set out and to persecute the church of God. He persecuted believers. He would deliver them up to be put into prison. Many of them were put to death because of this man named Saul. And one day as Saul was on his way to the, to the town of Damascus, and he was going there to persecute the church of the living God, and Jesus himself appeared to Paul, to Saul. And he said to him, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you've persecuted. And from that moment on, this man named Saul began to go by the name of Paul. And if any man in the history of the church was a man who lived his entire life out in appreciation for what God had done for him, it was this man called Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament from prison because he himself, because of his testimony of Christ, was put into prison. And from there he wrote the majority of what we read in the New Testament. And so this man Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why. I know its power. Let me ask you something. Do you know the power of the gospel this morning? You see, Paul spends the remainder of chapter 1, which we've been going through, and into chapter 2, and into chapter 3, and he's going to explain that you need to be saved. And if he had just simply said, you need to be saved, we would say, well, Paul, saved from what? What does that mean, Paul? What does it mean when you tell me I need to be saved? And so Paul says, the power of the gospel changes people's lives. I have experienced that. Have you? And so last week we looked where Paul says that not only does the gospel reveal the righteousness of God, but also the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Does that fit you? In case you don't know, the answer is yes. It fits all of us. And so in this passage this morning, we read of some of the most terrifying words you will ever find in the Bible. Look with me with verse 24. <clears throat> Paul says, therefore, you know what, before we go there, let's back up. Let's back up here. You see, Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And he says, 
that there are none who can say they know not God because creation itself says there is a God. We are created in this world with an innate desire to worship. We will worship someone or something. And as we talked about last week, I have found that my favorite God to worship, <laughs> you're looking at him. You know, Alistair Begg says, if you ever want to find a sinner, just find a mirror. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and Paul says that we are without excuse. And it says that although they knew God, they did not acknowledge him as God. Now, it's important that we start right there because we need to understand what it is that leads Paul down this road that we see of where he is pointing out that all of us have sinned against God. All of us are enemies of God. All of us are haters of God outside of Christ. But he's leading up to the gospel. I am not ashamed of it. And let me tell you why. Because let me tell you what all mankind is and what God has done. So we need to keep in mind as we go through, especially the next three or four weeks of this, because I know that Paul is going to just pound us and say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And we're going to get to the point to where we say, okay, Paul, that's enough. And Paul says, now let me tell you why I've told you this. Because now you understand why I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, he will make me alive. So we need to keep that in mind, all right? So Paul says, although they did not know him, or they, although they knew God, in verse 21... They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. This is important in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Then we get to those terrifying words. Therefore, Paul says in verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Then he says, for this reason, again, God gave them up. To dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. To a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Three times we are told that God gave them up. Now if that does not terrify you. Then you have no concept of who God is and where we are. That is some of the most terrifying words we read. Paul has already shown that humanity is guilty of suppressing the knowledge of God. 
knowledge that God has made clear in and through creation. And so that every single person is without excuse. Not a single person, not a one of you in this room will ever stand before God and say, I didn't know. He's going to say, yes, you did. He said, not only was it in creation, he said, but I remember that Sunday when you sat in that church and that preacher told you what my word said. So we're without excuse. The, fundament, the, the fundamental sin of fallen humanity is simply this. It is our refusal to honor God as God. Okay? And once we don't do that, once we, once we acknowledge that we know who you are, God, but we're not going to acknowledge you. There's nowhere to go but down. There's nowhere to go but down. Three times we are told that God gave them up. In verse 24, God gave them up to the lust of the flesh. In verse 26, He gave them up to their vile passions. In verse 28, He gave them up to their reprobate minds. Listen, here's basically what happened. And this is a, a, a terrifying thing right here. Okay, I hope you understand that. God said, here's who I am, and here's what I say. And when you say, I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you say, God says, fine, go your own way. Go your own way and deal with the consequences. And folks, let me assure you, there are always consequences. We see the consequences in our world today. If you really go back up to verse uh, 18, Paul says, notice what he says, the wrath of God is revealed. We always see God's wrath as something that's off in the future. But Paul says, now is the, the wrath of God revealed. It is revealed now. We can look around and we can see it. Someone asked me a couple of years ago, they said, they said, Pastor, when do you think God is going to judge us because of our acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle? And I said, you don't understand. Our acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle is the judgment of God. And that's what Paul's saying right here. Paul, and basically what he's saying is uh, to, 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 the, to the society, to the nation, to the culture that accepts this, I'm giving you up. Just do what you want to do. Go your own way and deal with it. And today we are seeing the repercussions of this. We hear all the time about God's infinite grace and God's infinite mercy. Let me tell you something, folks. God's grace is not infinite. His mercy is not infinite. There comes a time, the Bible says, when God says to man, I'm done. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to let you go your own way. What we do have is grace of an infinite God. Mercy of an infinite God. But the Bible makes it clear that there is a limit to God's grace. There is a limit to God's mercy. To where we can so... Uh, ignore the word of God that our hearts can become so hardened to the voice of God that he finally says, okay, I'm going to shut up now and I'm going to leave you alone. And that's a terrifying place to be. The worst thing that could happen to sinners is for them to be allowed to go on sinning without any divine restraints. You know, I look at my life. Well, you know what? Let's, let's, use, let's use somebody famous 
Do you know that in our lifetime, one of the most tragic and unbelievably evils that we have ever seen was when Hitler allowed the extermination of what was six million Jewish people. And we look at that and say, what a monster. Oh, how terrible that was. Can I tell you something? Can you imagine what he would have done had God not restrained him? But I'll give you one even better than that. I know a man. Every time he has a chance, he sins. And there are times when his sin consumes him. And I shudder to think what that man would do were it not for the restraining hand of God in his life. By the way, that man is me. And that person is you. We are all guilty of this. So we, we, cannot, we cannot look at this and say, that's somebody else. That's not what Paul's deal is here. Here in Romans, God is for a while at least... He is excommunicating the entire human race and he pronounces his judicial abandonment on all mankind for their response, for their refusal to respond to his clear revelation of himself. God has revealed himself to you. What have you done with it? And since by nature we suppress the truth, God delivers us to our sin. Oh, what terrible thing that is. As we look in the world in which we live, as we go along, verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. When we refuse to repent and we refuse to acknowledge God for who he is, God gives us over to our sinful impulses and we become slaves to the things that we want to do. You see, here's the thing. You are a slave regardless of what you think. You are a slave to righteousness and God, or you are a slave to your own sin and Satan. But we are slaves. We, there, there is no way that we are not one in any kind of a way. The question is, who do we obey? We become slaves to the things that we want to do. And rebellion against the Creator leads to a rejection of His design. You see, we say, God, we know you're there, but we don't like the way you're doing things. We don't like the, the, the system you set up. We don't like the created order you, you established. So we're going to do things our own way. We're going to just go our own way. And God says, okay, go ahead. And you may tell you what the result of that is. Abortion. Gay marriage. These are the results. This is what we see when we want to take no, no uh, responsibility for our own actions. And we say, God, I can do whatever I want. And God says, yes, you can. And God says, you can also deal with the consequences of doing whatever you want. When people dethrone God... They enthrone their lusts and their desires when he says God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts.
Now, lust, we, we, we usually think so of lust as being a sexual thing, and, and it usually is, but that's not all it is. A lust is any time that I desire something that someone else has, or I desire to just do my own thing and go my own way. And Paul, and, and Paul says here in verse 24 that God gave them up to the lust in their hearts. It's in their hearts. See, we need to understand that at the part of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And when Paul talks about the heart, he's not talking about this muscle that beats in your chest. The heart in the Bible is talking about the seat of who I really am, the seat of who you really are. And the Bible says in Jeremiah that our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things. You know, as I've told you, don't ever trust yourself to tell yourself the truth because you will lie to yourself every single time. Don't ever trust your feelings. We have one source of truth, and it is the Word of God, and that is what we must go by. And Paul says that he gave them over to the lusts and the desires of their hearts when they exchange God for idols. They trade God's order for one governed by, in verse 26, their dishonorable passions. Their dishonorable passions. That term dishonorable passions shows that the desire or the passion for the uh, for for unnatural sex acts that bring dishonor upon a, a person. Paul says that, that every sin that a man commits is against others except one. And that's the sin of adultery. A fornication, sexual sins. He says these sins are against the man's own body. And so Paul says here that when they have rejected God, they have rejected his natural order of things, and they go and they do that which is against nature. Against nature. In the last few years, we have heard things that, you know, Dr. David Jeremiah, he has a book that I read a few years ago. It's called I Never Thought I'd See the Day. Excellent book because he talks about things that he is seeing in our world today that he said, I never thought I'd live to see this day. How many of you knew that there are more than two genders? How many of you believe that? Thank you. Do you understand how utterly ridiculous that is? But it's gone farther than that. I heard something that we've been talked here talked about in the last few days or last few weeks that I think has got to be the utterly most stupid thing I have ever heard in my life. And I never knew that every time that I engaged in a sexual act that I was taking an a chance of I getting pregnant. <laughs> Seriously, is that not the most ridiculous? But listen, do you know what brought that on? When you reject God, when you reject the truth, you'll fall for any lie. As a matter of fact, you know, I was thinking about that, and someone sent me an article, and I was reading it, and it was a married couple, a man and a woman. Okay, now get this. And the husband was pregnant. And this was absolutely true. But once you read the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, you see, this article didn't tell the whole story. But then the guy sent me and he said, now here's what the rest of the story is. It was a man and a woman who were married. And the husband was pregnant. Now I want you to notice what I said and what I didn't say. The husband was pregnant. I didn't say the man was pregnant. But you see, in this relationship, 
was a biological man and a biological woman, but they lived together. The biological man was the wife and the biological woman was the husband. You tell me this world ain't messed up. Do you know why it's messed up? Paul tells us why it's messed up. Because God gave them up to the, to the dishonorable passions. This is why we have gotten to where we are today. Uh, uh, Romans 1 reflects on God's creation of mankind for a male and a female. And he ordained that they fill the earth through conjugal love. Listen, I don't know. I cannot for the life of me understand why people cannot understand that two men cannot procreate. That two women cannot. It's impossible. I, and, and it takes a depraved mind to think any other way. But you know what causes that depraved mind? The Bible talks about how they refuse to honor and believe the truth, so God made them believe the lie. And that's where we are today. They have believed the lie. And we need to understand that homosexual acts, they ignore God's order, and they cannot fill the earth. And when mankind becomes involved in these practices, in these homosexual practices, we are not only sinning against God, but against the very nature of things. It is, to me, it is so utterly ridiculous. But that's what sin does. If you go back to verse um, <clears throat> 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became what? Futile in their thinking. Futile in their thinking. All right. So it's against nature as God has created. But but notice here. OK. Homosexuality is just one of the sins that Paul talks about here. Look in verse uh, 20, 29. He says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Y'all got a pen? Underline the next few words. <laughs> they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Listen, is there anything there that hasn't described every one of us? And he says, though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who do practice them. All right? We must understand that none of us can make it through Paul's list without some kind of conviction. And if you did not see at least one, if not all of these in your own life, then you're not looking. You're doing exactly what these people were doing. You're not acknowledging the truth because all of us are guilty of this. You know, uh, of all this list, I, I find it interesting that somebody points out that gossip is mentioned in the same passage as homosexuality. You see, all these things that Paul said are sin. And I want to tell you something, folks, what I have seen in my life, you want to see something that will destroy a church faster than anything. It's called gossip. That's what will do it. And so we need to to pay attention to everything uh, that Paul says here. Look at look with me over in Philippians chapter four. Turn to Philippians chapter four. 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Your mind is a battlefield. The devil knows this. We have been taught through television sitcoms that men and dads are stupid. That moms and women are the heroes that fill everything, take care of every problem. Now, ladies, I understand you're, you are smarter than we are. But that's not the order God created. God said the man is the head of the home. Men, do you know one of the reasons why women are doing this is because we have failed to do it. You should be the priest in your home. You should be leading your family in prayer. You should be leading your family in Bible study. You should be leading your family to church and your children and your wife. You should be the protectors of your homes. Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, are you willing to die for your wife and your family? But wives, it says, wives, you also be in submission to your own husbands as to the Lord. You show me a woman who's in submission to God, and I'll show you one that's in submission to her husband. You show me a man that loves the Lord, and I'll show you one that loves his wife. But you see, this is the order that Paul ha has laid out, that, that God has laid out. And we have taken that and we have just thrown it out. That word submission, that's a, that's a terrible, terrible word in today's world. Especially for, for women. But I want to tell you something, ladies. If you want to be everything God created you to be, you will do what God told you to do. Now, listen, let, let, me, let me be clear here. For my wife to be in submission to me does not mean that I walk in and say, get in there and cook me something to eat and then wash my clothes and do all this. Do everything I tell you to do. That's not being in submission. Okay? Th that, that's being in bondage. That's not what I'm called to do. And you see, if I love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'm going to do more for her than I'll ever let her do for me. Because that's what we're called to do. But this is the order. Paul says what's going on now is against nature. But do you know why it's against nature? Do you know why today husbands are not being what they should be in the home? Why women are not being what they should be in the home? Why our children are so messed up today? Do you know why that is? Because we have rejected the truth of who God is and what he said. And the only result is total chaos. A mind that does not focus attention on whatever is true and pure and lovely and just, Paul says, is a debased mind. But, but we have been taught today by watching television, watching movies, watch, uh, listening to uh, the, the music that's in our world today. We have, we have put all this junk into our minds, and then we wonder why we can't think straight. The world's telling us one thing and God's telling us another. The only thing is, right now, the world's shouting louder than he is. But God says, I don't have to shout. I wrote it all down for you. <laughs> all you got to do is read it and obey it. All right? So we must heed Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers... 
because of the mercy that God has shown to you. Now, keep that in mind. Has God shown you mercy? And if you don't know he has, then when you woke up this morning and took that breath, that was mercy. That breath you just took, that was God's mercy. <laughs> so here's the thing. Paul says, because of the mercy God has shown to you, present yourselves a living sacrifice. And he says, that's your only logical thing to do. But then he goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world. The world wants to squeeze you into its mold. The world wants to, to, to make you like them. But Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know how that happens? He says, by the renewing of our minds. Stop watching the trash. Stop listening to the trash. Listen, there, there's some good stuff on TV. You know, we, we, when I'm at home, I know it drives Cindy crazy. You know, Mondays are my day off, and I usually sit and watch TV, and I watch basically the same thing all day long. You know what I watch? The Andy Griffith Show. That's what I watch. I sit there, I sit there at nights, <clears throat> and I go on Boomerang for two hours, watch nothing but Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> and then her all-time favorite, The Three Stooges. <laughs> But you see, folks, there are some things out there we could listen to and we can watch that won't put trash into our minds. But Paul says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And in verse 29 through 32, he talks about uh, filled with unrighteousness. And notice that I said about gossip. Gossip is such an abominable Thing. It will destroy people's lives. It will destroy churches. It will destroy homes. Are we guilty of slander? Are we guilty of gossip? And, and by the way, I, I had a lady one time, I, I overheard her and I said something to her about gossip. She said, oh, it's not gossip. It's true. And I said, you don't understand. That's what makes it gossip is <laughs> because it's true. And just because it's true doesn't mean we should tell it. You understand that? So I, I just think it's interesting that Paul specifically mentions that. But he talks about haters of God. Are you a hater of God? You know, we're born haters of God. Did you know that? We are born enemies of God into this world. That's why Jesus said we must be born again. And Paul here, he, he is saying, look... We're haters of God. We're violent. We're proud. We're boasters. We're an inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Does this not describe the world we live in? But let me ask you something. Does it describe the world you live in? Does it describe the home you live in? There are so many today who believe that they are saved. That when they die, they're going to heaven. Why? Because they think they're good people. But you see, Paul is pointing out here. We're going to see when we get over chapter 3. You know what he says over there? He says there's none good. There is none righteous. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve the wrath of God. We all deserve hell. All of us. But I can tell you, I'll just use myself as an example. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know why? Because I know the power of the gospel. 
because once I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But in Christ, I've been made alive. And you know, all these sins, they're gone. He has wiped the slate clean. And there are so many today that think because they're a good person, because they go to church, because they prayed a prayer, that they're saved. And that does not make us saved. And we look at this, and I want to tell you, all of these things are, 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 are okay, not the homosexual part, but all these sins I'm guilty of. And so are you. But here's the difference. I hate it. You see what he said there in verse 32? Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who do practice them. Listen, how do you feel about sin? Do you love it? Do you hate it? We're all sinners. We're going to sin. The difference is when I sin, the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin and it drives me to my knees in repentance before God. And I confess my sin. Say, Father, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. And there are times when I look into my heart and folks, listen, I hate my sin. Literally, I hate my sin. My sin. I long for the day when sin is gone. You know, Pastor John MacArthur, he one time said, you know what I look forward to most about heaven? He said, it's not seeing the angels. He said, it's not the streets of gold. He said, it's no sin. No sin. And that's the only place, by the way, that there's no sin. Is in the presence of God. So Paul says we need to look at ourselves as we're going to see as we get into the, uh, the, the second chapter. But the worst indictment is found there in verse 32. Paul says that fallen human beings not only do these things, but they know better. They know these are wrong. And God has planted in the mind of every human being a conscience that can discern the difference between good and evil. But many of us, our conscience has become seared. Our hearts have become hardened to where we can no longer discern these things. And we, uh, who we are, who are we to tell God that he has no right to restrain our behavior? Because you see, it's no accident that Paul starts this out by saying, by, in other words, establishing God as the creator. You see, we exist because he created us. And as the creator, okay, are you ready for this? I know you might want to sit down. As the creator, he has every right to tell me what I can and cannot do. As a, just, that's just as creator. That's not even counting the holy sovereign God. <laughs> You add that into it, then he has even more. You know, it's interesting why well, I love what Paul says, his answer in Romans chapter 9, when we get there. When somebody says, okay, when Paul's talking about the great doctrine of election, and someone says, okay, if I cannot do what I'm supposed to do, why does God still find fault? And I love what Paul says. Who are you? And what in the world makes you think you can question God? And why or how he does things. And so here's where we are. We cannot do this. Who are we to do this? Fallen humanity, we have declared independence and the result has been judicial abandonment. 
Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. You need to write this down. You need to listen to this because I find this so prevalent in our world today in America. I love my country. I am a proud American, but America's done. Did you know that? We are done. We have sealed our fate. And from here on, the judgment of God, we are already seeing it, but it's going to increase more and more and more and more. America will never be the nation it once was. We're falling. And I find it interesting, you know, when, whenever God throughout the Bible, through old, throughout the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel would sin against God, and usually it was one particular sin, which, by the way, we are guilty of the same sin. It's called idolatry. It's where you say, I want to do things my way, and I don't care what anybody says. God says, go ahead. But every time God would judge Israel, he always did it the same way. He allowed a foreign nation, usually their most hated enemies, to overtake them. And I'm wondering if he might not allow the same thing to happen to us. But we need to understand. Uh, we need to understand that misery loves company. And if we can entice others to join us in our sin, then we can get rid of the taboos rather than deal with our guilt. You understand how that works? You see, we, we fall into sin, and to make us feel better, we go to other people and say, now, you agree with what I'm doing, right? You don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing. You agree with me. You know, I need you on my side, because it makes us feel better. Misery loves company. But thanks be to God, Romans doesn't end right here. As I said, Paul is leading up to something. The gospel, the good news is coming. And Paul is saying, you want to understand why I'm not ashamed of the gospel? You want to know why the gospel is so wonderful? Well, let me tell you how bad you are, and then you'll understand how good God is. Man, ain't that wonderful? <laughs> Our danger in this passage is to speak of these sins and these failures and then denounce them in someone else and not see them in our own selves. But we need to understand we're all, you know, as a matter of fact, over in chapter 2, uh, you know, look, look at verse 1. We'll cover this again next week. But look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, with that said, let me point out here very clearly so that and I'll do this again next week. You and I are called to judge. We are called to do that. You understand that, right? Okay, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is just simply pointing out that if I know that there's something going on in my life, but then I condemn you for it while I'm doing it, he said, no, that ain't right. That ain't how it works. Jesus said we are to judge with a righteous judgment. Jesus said, if I'm going to judge that I must remove the, uh, the two before from my own eye before I can take the speck out of your eye. 
Right? So don't get the idea we're not called to judge because we are. But we need to understand that we must take this list of sins that Paul has mentioned here to heart. We have perverted sexual longings and we indulge them. We are envious. We are boastful. We are foolish. We are heartless. We gossip. We despise authority. We must not merely call others to repentance. I must repent. You must repent. But I cannot do that unless I have repented. I cannot call you to do this. And so Paul here, he, he, he is saying, look, you know, and, and to me, the way, you know, the, the, the re, one of the reasons why I love the book of Romans so much is because of the structure that Paul put it in, because it is so brilliant. It cannot be anything but Holy Spirit inspired. The book of Romans is probably the most concise, systematic theology you will find anywhere. Because Paul says, look, you need to be saved. Well, why, Paul? What are you saved from? You know, most people have the idea that we're saved from hell, but we're not. Jesus didn't come to save us from hell. He came to save us from sin. And so when I say, Paul, I'm a good person. And then he spends three chapters saying, let me show you why you're not. <laughs> but are we willing to look at ourselves? Am I really to, to am I am I willing to allow the word of God, the searchlight of God's word to shine into the darkest recesses of my heart? To even the places I don't want to go. And to hear him say, see, there's none good. There's none righteous. There's none who seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All deserve the righteous, holy wrath of God. Paul says, now you want to hear the good part? The good part is Jesus came. He bore our sins on the cross. He was buried and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So where do you see yourself this morning? Do you see yourself, you know, the only way I know to put it, do you see yourself as a dirty, filthy sinner for God? Because that's what you are. It's what I am. Outside Christ. It is only as we are in Christ. Paul says that we get to that wonderful, when we, you know, we are going through the greatest book in the Bible. Eventually we're going to get to the greatest chapter of the greatest book in the Bible, which is Romans chapter 8. Y'all should have said it louder than that. 8. What is the very first verse? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the only place there's no condemnation is in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? And what I mean by that is, have you believed the gospel? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you still trusting in your own goodness? Are you trusting in your own righteousness? Or have you trusted in the perfect, sinless life of the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the only one who can save us. He is the only one who lived a perfect life because he was both God and man at the same time.
So, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I urge you this morning to search your hearts. Allow God to search you. Do you know you're saved? Because you believe the gospel, the good news of what Christ came to do. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for this message. We thank you for this wonderful book. Father, may our hearts this morning be turned towards you. May you search us, Father. May the penetrating power of your word get down into the deepest recesses of our hearts. And may your Holy Spirit convict us that we may see our sin. Father, for those that have never believed the gospel, that, Father, this morning they might believe that you might give them the faith and the repentance that they might turn to Christ. Father, we thank you. Thank you for showing us who we really are so that we can see who Christ really is. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.